It was just over a year ago that Minneapolis became the first municipality in the country to require live music clubs to furnish free earplugs to their patrons. But the dangers don't diminish when we head outside for the summer months. Lawnmowers, leaf blowers, engines, and myriad other outdoor events can blast to dangerous levels. Noise and hearing loss is our topic on this edition of Hallberg's Picture of Health. Our regular medical analyst, Dr. John Hallberg, is in to talk about noise and hearing loss. John, welcome back. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. If we're going to talk about hearing loss, we should probably start with a little bit about what a lot of us probably take for granted, and that is how the ears work. How exactly do we hear? You know, it's so fascinating. It takes something to move, and that movement causes air molecules to bounce one into the other. The rate at which they do that, they kind of ebb and flow. That's the frequency or pitch of things. That's gathered by the external ear, the part of the ear that we see goes through the ear canal, causes the ear drum, the tympanic membrane, to vibrate. That in turn causes the three smallest bones in the body, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup, to move. They in turn are attached to another little drum that moves. That's attached to this thing called the cochlea. It looks a little bit like a nautilus shell or a snail shell. Mm -hmm. And there's water, there's fluid in there with hair cells. Those hair cells vibrate and move causing nerves to fire. Then that travels through the auditory nerve to the brain where all of that stuff is processed as sound. Mm. As you can imagine, that anywhere along that path, if something goes amiss, that can lead to some hearing problems. Okay, so then what is hearing loss? Well, the way that most of us think about it, it has to do, we call it sensorineural hearing loss. And that's sort of at that place and in that cochlea where that sort of the last step in all of that. I mean, certainly if you have wax or you have something in your ear canal that's preventing sound from coming through or a child with an ear infection in the middle ear, those are obvious things. But when we're really talking about hearing loss in adults, for the most part, um, we're talking about that last sort of step where damage has occurred typically over the years to lead to hearing loss. What's more of a risk, prolonged exposure to elevated noise or being too close to a blast like from a firecracker or a gunshot? It really depends. I mean, if you have a truly loud exposure, it can be a single exposure, a gunshot near your ear, for example, on a target range, let's say, or hunting. That could theoretically cause damage right there and then. But for most people, it's really a cumulative thing that's happening day after day, year after year. And it finally, you know, uh, presents as hearing loss. So is there one part of the ear that gets an injury more than another that will cause hearing loss? Yeah, so the cochlea, this thing that looks like a shell that's filled with fluid and then lined with these little teeny tiny hairs. And so the loud noises over time can cause physical, mechanical damage to those little hair cells. But there's also, fascinatingly, a kind of a chemical change that can occur. There's too much nitric oxide and that can cause the hairs to damage. Magnesium levels change. So it's really interesting. It really gets down to almost a chemical response as well. So who is most at risk of hearing loss? You know, I think anyone who's exposed on a prolonged basis to loud noises, factory workers, you've got musicians and orchestras and, and people who are setting up live shows that are exposed to that all the time, people in law enforcement and the military, uh, people who work for the airline industry, baggage handlers, people, um, mechanics. And you'll see a lot of those folks wearing earmuffs. They know what is going to be causing that kind of exposure. In fact, OSHA requires that they wear some kind of protection. 
So talking about protection, those little foam earplugs hmm. that are handed out at uh, rock clubs and by airlines, do they actually work to prevent hearing loss? Yeah, I mean, they do. The, the trouble is they're so non-discriminatory. In other words, so you put those things in and they, you know, it's like putting a wad of something in your ear. They're easy to pull out. They really, really can block a lot of sound. In fact, I've used them when I'm, you know, sleeping in a large space with lots of people snoring. So, you know, in a dorm or, you know, a cabin setting where you've got a bunch of bunk beds and you just can't get to mm, yeah. sleep. They work really, really really well. But they block out sound so much, you're not going to hear certain things very well. So for people in orchestras, for example, who really need to hear and and perform, that's not going to work. So a foam earplug will just in general block out noise. But is there a more high-tech way to protect your ears and at the same time get the kind of uh, hearing that, that you need and that yeah. you might want? Sure. There's a number of pretty sophisticated earplugs that you can get. And you can either go to an audiologist, for example, who can do kind of a mold of your ear and make sure they fit just exactly right. And then there are like little things that you can insert that depending on how much sound you want to let in or how much sound you want to block. So if you're a musician, you can really kind of determine uh, the piece that you're in and when to put them in to block the effect of the bass drum, you know, just over your shoulder, for example, or the trombones or the trumpets. And then other people might want to just, you know, have one kind that you can buy without a prescription. You don't need to see an audiologist and they can really help as well. How is hearing loss detected? You know, it's funny. When I have people come in for their physical exams, one of the questions I often ask when I ask about hearing and dental care and immunizations and things like that is, is hearing. And it's it's funny, as, as we age, and we know this is true, something like 45% of us, once we hit 65 and older, will have some degree of hearing loss. Uh, men will often say that their wives feel that they're not listening to them well enough or, or carefully enough. Uh, no, wives will... Be, be careful. You're treading in some dangerous <laughs> oh, I, territory. But I'm simply sharing my, my <laughs> clinical observations. Wives, on the other hand, will say that you know their husbands don't hear them, so I usually have a heads up when they come in to ask them this question. And then you know, part of my physical exam is looking at their ears, just making sure we can't blame it on something simple like wax or yep. an infection or a perforation in the eardrum. And then I'll ask the question, you know, so... Should we, you know, go the next step and do a little screening? And you can either do that in the clinic or I can send people for very sophisticated uh, hearing testing at an audiology clinic where they have a booth and Mm -hmm. people with headphones on it. It's absolutely silent and you can just you know, with assuredness and hear the different uh, tones that, that are that are played for you. And then, <laughs> then you decide whether or not it's bad enough that you need some help, such as a hearing aid. All right. So if a hearing aid was determined to be necessary, you could go that route. Is there any treatment for a damaged ear other than a device like a hearing aid? You know, that's one of the, the difficult things that we're at at this point. And what we can do in medicine is that we can't go in and fix hearing. I mean, some people have had things like cochlear implants, you know, when they've had a certain kind of deafness and they'll work with an ear, nose, throat person with, for that. If someone has an acoustic neuroma, which is a tumor, uh, not a cancerous tumor, but a growth on the cranial nerve that, that helps us with hearing on one side, that requires neurosurgical intervention. So there are some things that are kind of fixable potentially, but for the most part, the kind of hearing loss we're talking about, it's just irreversible, which is why I think the message out there is, you know, protect your hearing while you can, not, no, not waiting till it's too late. So as far as prevention goes, the best thing to do is to wear earplugs if you're exposed to loud noises, that kind of thing. But a lot of us probably bring it on ourselves when we walk around with our uh, beats or our earbuds plugged into our listening devices cranked up too loud. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, uh, in fact, the World Health Organization is pointing this out, how many young people they think are at risk for eventual hearing loss. And I liken this, since we're talking about summer, um, a little bit to sun exposure. You know, that that sunburn today isn't going to give you skin cancer today, but that really, really bad burn may come back to haunt you down the road. And same with this. You know, we, we really don't know yet. Like, what impact is all of that loud music so close to the ear going to have eventually? And in fact, if you look at, you know, we measure things in decibels and that's kind of the standard way of measuring sound. And having an iPod, you know, at about th- that halfway point in the volume, it's something like 94 decibels. I mean, that's that's really loud. Mm-hmm. And we have to imagine that that, you know, day after day after day is going to lead to some problems down the road. Is there a way to tell in the moment when you're being exposed to something that is too loud? I'm thinking about the ringing ears after being yeah. at a loud uh, rock concert. Well, and people can actually have pain. In fact, they think that about at 125 decibels, it actually starts to hurt. And typical rock concerts might be up to 115 to 120 decibels. So if you're having you know, pain at the time, you know that that's too loud. And I think the fact that ringing occurs when we leave really, really loud places indicates too that, man, your ear has taken a beating. And on some level, some injury has occurred. You mentioned some decibel levels. Give us some other examples of how loud uh, certain events or things can be. Sure. So a, a whisper in a quiet library, so when you're being shushed for whispering, that's about 30 decibels. So that gives you some kind of frame of reference. Normal conversation at about three feet is something like 60 to 65 decibels. Um, a lawnmower, three feet away, 107 decibels. And keeping in mind that going from 30 to 107 or so, it's not sort of tripling. It's actually a logarithmic scale, so it's much louder than that might indicate. So it doesn't give you quite that sense of how loud indeed that is. But sandblasting is putting the same category as a loud rock concert, so that's about 115 decibels. Pain can occur at 125. And by 140, you actually can get permanent damage from a one-time exposure. And so a jet engine on the tarmac at 100 feet is at, you know starting to rev up. It's about 140 decibels. Um, I've got a couple flute players in the house, and uh, you know that can be 90 to 103 decibels. And a full orchestra, a 75-piece orchestra, so a little smaller than the Minnesota Orchestra, comes in you know, at its peak, a fortissimo, I suppose, at about 120 to 137 decibels. It would seem that the world is getting louder around us all the time. Uh, do you think there's more exposure to loud noises now that could be, you know, damaging the, the ears than maybe there were in the past? Oh, I have no doubt. And I'm starting to have, you know, some younger people coming to me and talking about this and being a little concerned about it. That's something I hadn't seen before. So I think that that's a, a little foreshadowing of, of what we're going to see in the years to come. John, what about loud noises uh, indoors versus outdoors? Uh, Is one scenario uh, more potentially damaging than the other? Well, you know, ultimately a decibel is a decibel, so it doesn't really matter if you're inside or outside. But I think that, you know, going to rock the garden, being outside, listening to a rock concert, um, you're going to have less sound echoing and bouncing around than you would if you were in a small club like First Avenue with a huge speaker bank. So I think that there's probably maybe a little greater risk when being in an enclosed space. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day or the end of the night, it's just a matter of uh, how many decibels you're exposed to. You brought along uh, some reading material today. (laughs) I did. You know, there's a 1990 wonderful book by Diane Ackerman, and it's called A Natural History of the Senses. And I often turn to it when I'm trying to think about these senses. And and she describes, this is in the section on hearing, and, and she writes, What we call sound is really an onrushing, cresting, withdrawing wave of air molecules that begins with the movement of any object, however large or small, and ripples out in all directions. 
First, something has to move, a tractor, a cricket's wings, that shakes the air molecules all around it. Then the molecules next to them begin trembling too, and so on. Waves of sound roll like tides to our ears, where they make the eardrum vibrate. This in turn moves three colorfully named bones, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup, the tiniest bones in the body. Although the cavity they sit in is about one-third of an inch wide and one-sixth of an inch deep, the air trapped there is blocked by eustachian tubes, and that's what gives scuba divers and airplane passengers such grief when the air pressure changes. The three bones press fluid in the inner ear against membranes which brush tiny hairs that trigger nearby nerve cells, which telegraph messages to the brain. We hear. It may not seem like a particularly complicated route, but in practice it follows an elaborate pathway that looks something like a maniacal miniature golf course, with curlicues, branches, roundabouts, relays, levers, hydraulics, and feedback loops. It's an amazing uh, organ, the ear. You know, how in the heck does this work? It's really amazing that we hear as well as we do, and you've got this contraption that that allows us to hear. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen.